Good, awkward family photos, right? You ever get an awkward moment in your family? No, no yeah. You ever lie in church? <laughs> Happens sometimes, right? So we're talking these days about family matters. We're talking about things that matter in families. We're talking about things that matter to God in our families. And before we jump into that today, I want to just kind of um, highlight something that Pastor Sean talked about. So we're talking about family matters, and we're gonna, this is our last weekend on this series, and I want to just kind of set you up with this. When I was in um, kindergarten, I learned a rule. And it was the most amazing rule. It's very straightforward that we came into kindergarten. We're sitting on the rug doing our deal. I, we probably learned it the first day. I don't know. But I remember learning it. I don't remember all the surrounding you know, stuff. But I remember learning it in kindergarten. Anybody else remember kindergarten? Thank you. Because my wife thinks I'm odd because I remember it. Right? So I had this teacher named Mrs. Atkins. And uh, she told us this rule. So we're sitting around. She gives us this rule. And I'm like, that's a really good rule. And I didn't know that it was life-changing. I didn't know that it was world-changing. I didn't even know that it came from the Bible. I'm in a public school sitting on the rug with a bunch of kindergartners, and and the teacher gives us this rule. And I look at it, now I go, "Ah, that rule could change the world. If we just figured out that rule and how it works and how we live it out, that rule could change the world. And the rule actually did come from the Bible. And so, you know, when I got older and I started reading the Bible, I came across it one day. I'm like, Jesus said that before Mrs. Atkins. Who knew? I mean, I grew up going to church. I grew up hearing all the stories and stuff. But I learned from a public school kindergarten teacher this rule that's found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. If you have your Bible, why don't you open up and uh, let's look at this rule together. Most of you could probably say it by heart, but let's look it up and let's check it out. And let's just talk about it for a little bit. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 12, by the way, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus was giving this sermon to a bunch of people on a hillside in Galilee, and he's telling them, this is what the kingdom of God will look like when it comes among you. And this is what the kingdom of God will look like when you live it out among your family and among your friends. Here's what it sounds like. Verse 12, he says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, let's start with the end and work backwards, okay? I like the end. I like this whole idea. This sums up the law and the prophets. Literally what Jesus said is, this is the law and the prophets. It's very simple. You want to understand the Old Testament? Because that's how they called it. The Old Testament for for Jews in that generation, they just called it the law and the prophets. You want to understand that part of the book? He says, this thing sums it up. I... I like summaries of long things. I like Cliff's Notes. You know, I I mean, the real story is good to read and all that stuff, but, you know, just to get it kind of condensed down. And sometimes when I read the whole scripture, I'm going through the Bible in a year this year, and when you read the whole Bible, it's big and it's a little long, and you're like, I can't remember it all or maybe even comprehend it all. And sometimes I just want to say to Jesus, could you just shrink it down? And, of course, you know, he did, right? He, He gave us these two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. We go, okay, that summarizes it. But then he gets to this one. He says, this one law, one rule, summarizes all of the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, summarizing this one rule. Now, we talked about the law last weekend. Do you remember? Yeah, thank you. Don't make me come down there. 
So we had a little talk about the Ten Commandments and how important it is for us who are followers of Jesus to know the commandments. And so I said, please memorize those commandments. If you take one a week for the next ten weeks, you'll memorize all of them. Some of them are really short, like commandment number six. So, you know, it's not going to be all that complicated. So what if we memorize those? So I have a little girl staying in my house these days. We're kind of caring for this little girl for a while. And so last Monday night, we sit down for dinner and... um, I said to my wife and to this little girl, I said, you know what? We're going to memorize the Ten Commandments. I yelled at the church, you know, this weekend and told them, you've got to memorize it, so we're going to do it. So we go through commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. And this little five-year-old girl, she's like, you shall have no other gods before me. And I'm like, we went over it a couple of times, and she got it down. I'm like, that's, that's pretty good. The next night, we say our prayer before dinner, and the first thing she says after the prayer is, you shall have no other gods before me. Next night, the same drills. like, wow, she's got this down. We're ready, for, we're ready for commandment number two already. So, but then I got to thinking, you know, a lot of us have little children. And it's like, you know, maybe they can't get the whole thing. And a couple of commandments are rather long, like commandment two and commandment four, kind of long. So maybe we could shorten this down just so our children can grasp it a little easier. So I thought, let me just find the Ten Commandments for children and let you see them. So here's, you know, here's what these would look like if you just kind of summarize them for children. Do those look familiar? Um, Really, don't make me come down there. (laughs) Have you ever heard of these before? Oh, good. So you have seen these, right? So that's kind of a shortened way to say them. And I've put these on my blog. I wrote a blog this morning to include these in there. So if you're like, oh, I didn't get them all written down, you can go on my blog, on my Facebook page, and it'll link you up to my blog, and you can get these. There's a whole list of them there. Or you you can just Google Ten Commandments for Kids, and this will pop up. All right, maybe that'll help you walk through that. Now, in the middle of those commandments, there's this commandment we talked about last weekend, which is commandment number five, honor your father and mother. And a lot of you have been trying to work on that process over this last week. We wrote cards to them, and we're, we're saying, hey, whether you're a child or an adult, there's a, there's a commandment to us, honor your father and mother. And I just believe that if we will teach our children that, It will bless our children because if they get that one commandment down, it will set them up to be able to respond well to all the other authorities in their lives. And so if we teach them that commandment, it will bless our children. But if we teach them that commandment, it will also bless us. Because what comes back to you if you teach your children, honor your father and mother? Honor and long life and things like that. So yeah, it's like, wow, that's a blessing to us if we just do that. So there's a commandment for us. Now to that commandment, honor your father and mother. As we're talking about family matters, let me add another commandment or this rule that Jesus gives that summarizes all of those commands. It's this, do to others what you would have them do to you. Now the amazing thing about that, it's not mysterious. It's not some magical rule. You go, wow, I don't know how I would ever do that. It's a pretty simple rule. It's a pretty simple commandment. That's why they can tell children in kindergarten, do this. Like, this is our rule for the playground. This is our rule for the finger paints. This is our rule for our classroom. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And I remember in kindergarten going, I get that. Not always easy to practice it, but I get it's easy to grasp. And Jesus says, I want you to practice that. I want you to figure that one out because that summarizes all the law and the prophets. Now, it's remarkably simple. 
in its concept. It's remarkably easy to understand. In fact, when you get to English and when you're into the command section of this or the rule section, there's only one word that comes with more than one syllable. It's all basic words. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do. You know, that in English, that's a really simple word. It's just a generic word for action. Do something. And you can describe it in a lot of different other activities, but it's just a really basic word for action. In Greek, the word do means do. See, it's not very complicated. It just means do something. It means engage the process somewhere. Very simple. I can't even explain it to you without using more complicated words than that word. Do for others what you would have them do for you. Now, that's, that's kind of a longer phrase, but that comes from one little Greek word that means to wish, to want, to desire something. Do for others what you wish they would do for you. It's just such a simple statement. But then there's one word, there's one word in this that comes with two syllables. You know, it doesn't make it, again, a magic word, it just makes it longer. But here's this. The other word is others. The other word is the crux of the gospel. The other word is a statement about what Jesus did in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. It was all about others. When you take the the great commandment and the other great commandment, it's about others. When you take the golden rule, it's about others. When you walk all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, it's about others. With our leadership team on our staff here at Lakeside these days, we've been walking through what we call our Lakeside Playbook. You know, football teams will have a playbook and they'll, you know, they'll start the game with this series of plays like they're all scripted out and charted out. They call it the playbook. And all the plays that that team would ever run are in that playbook. And so we've been developing a playbook, playbook for us at Lakeside Church with our staff. And so we've been trying to evaluate some, uh, the church based on some questions. One of the questions is, how do we behave? Or how do we live? In regard to one another, how do we live? And we believe that it matters how we live. Now, we've just been watching Lakesiders for years. I've been watching Lakesiders and go, what characterizes us? What's true about us as a church? And when I look at all the people that work in Kids Fest and they give their lives to work with children in Kids Fest and to bless five-year-olds or three-year-olds or, or fifth graders or whatever, when I see our people saying, I'm going to give up my Saturday nights to make this happen or my Sunday morning to make this happen. I'm going to do that for years, maybe some of them have done. I go, they're just, they're just living out that thing for others. When I know that we have people that work in our tech booth and they're back there and they're like, don't, ever, don't point to me, don't talk about me, don't put me on the spot. That's why they're in the back and not in the front because they like it back there, right? But all that they do is for others. And so I'm watching people. When we've, we've got this Thanksgiving uh, meal we're going we're gonna to serve this, uh, this month, this year, we're going to do a, a big Thanksgiving meal. And the reason we're doing that is because we have people in the church that are really concerned about others. And we've been looking at the behaviors of Lakesiders, and we go, this represents who we are. We would say it this way. We give ourselves to others. That's the mark of a church. That's the mark of a healthy church. That's the mark of Lakeside Church. We give ourselves to others. 
And do we do it perfectly? No. Do we do it all the time? Not yet. But is it characteristic of us? Yes, I believe it is. And we want that to excel still more. We give ourselves to others. That's the golden rule. Does the name William Booth mean anything to you? William Booth. William Booth, back about 150 years ago, 140 years ago, started a thing called the Salvation Army. You've heard of the Salvation Army. You you will soon. You'll be hearing their ding, ding, dinging, right? So the Salvation Army, you may think, well, that's just a group. They raise money and then they give it to people that are in need. And that's a lot of what they do. But the Salvation Army was started to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that needed salvation. It was started by this guy named William Booth, and it it quickly exploded and left England and went around the world to serve people in need and to bring them the gospel. And one time during the Christmas season, William Booth, now remember this is 100 years ago or more, William Booth decided he wanted to send out an encouraging Christmas message to all of his soldiers that are scattered around the world serving Christ and serving the Salvation Army. And in those days, they didn't have email and Facebook and all those things. They had this little deal called Telegram. Telegram was a very expensive but very effective means of communication. But you paid by the word. So the more words you had, the more costly your communication was going to be. Well, William Booth wanted to encourage all of his soldiers that were out there in the world. And so he writes up this wonderful message to them, takes it into the telegraph office and gives it to the clerk and says, how much would it cost me to send this to this many people around the world? And the clerk calculated, calculated it up, gave it back to him and said, it's going to cost you this much money. And he's like, I'm a, we're a charitable organization. We don't have that kind of money. He said, well, you can edit it down if you want. And so William Booth took his encouraging Christmas message and he, and he edited it down. So it got shorter. And then he gave it back to the clerk. He said, can I afford to send this? And the clerk figured it out and said, it's going to cost you this much. He said, I can't send that out. But he really wanted to encourage his team to live out the mission, to live out the cause that Christ had called them for. And so he edited it That's a really hard word to say. He made it shorter again. We gave it back to the clerk, and the clerk said, you still can't afford this. This is going to cost you this much. He said, I don't have that much money. He shortened it, and he shortened it, and he shortened it. He finally got his encouraging Christmas message to all of his soldiers. He got it down to one word. And the one word was designed to to go out and to encourage all those people that were serving Christ and the Salvation Army around the world. One word. And when he figured out what he could afford to send, that one word, it had to be the word that would describe the mission, that would describe uh, the ministry of that organization, it would describe the gospel in one word. And so the word that he wrote on his paper and gave back to the clerk to send out to all of his soldiers was others. That's the gospel. That's what we do. That's what we believe in. That's what we live. Others. That's the magic word in the rule. That's the the golden word in the golden rule. Others. William Booth knew the mission and he knew the rule. He knew about others. Now I just wonder what would happen in a church and in a community if we lived this out in the marketplace. You know, if we just, when we went to work on Monday morning, we went to work and we just said, 
I'm going to do for others what, they would, what I would have them do for me, what I wish they would do for me. What would happen in a world, in a workplace where that happened? Wouldn't it change it? I mean, you live, in a, you live in a marketplace. You work in a marketplace where everyone's trying to get on top. Everyone's climbing the ladder. Everyone's pushing everybody out of the way to get on the top and to win. And it's not about others ever. It's about me. And what would happen in a, in a marketplace environment if you just stopped that madness and just said, I'm just going to make it about others? Or what about in your neighborhood, in our neighborhoods? What about that? I mean, a lot of your neighbors are easy to get along with, probably. Some of them, some of them not so much. What about the ones where it's not so much, where it's not so easy to get along with them? What if, what if we just decided in our neighborhood that we're going to live out that rule? Do for others what you would have them do for you. What would that do in your neighborhood? When your neighbor left the trash can out last night, forgot about it, and all day today, and it's still sitting out there. And what if you went over and you said, I'm just going to pull that in for him. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's autumn and the leaves are starting to fall off. And so what if you, when you're out raking your leaves, if you just went next door and you said, I'm, I'm just going to rake my neighbor's leaves. I'd sure love it if they did that for me. So I think, well, I would. Uh, so I think I'll do that for them. What would that do in your neighborhood? Not much, because the leaves keep falling. You have to go back in tomorrow and do it the same. Yeah, but isn't that what you want them to do? I mean, you know, wow, I'd love it if someone stopped by my yard every day and, and raked up my leaves for the whole month. What if we did for others what we wanted them or wished they would do for us? And then take that a step further and a step closer and put that in your family. Family is the easiest place to do this and the hardest place to do it, isn't it? It's easiest, it's easiest because it's pretty well defined. I mean, you know who's living in your household. Can you practice the rule in your household? If you've got two people in your household, can you practice the rule? If you've got five people living in your household, can you practice the rule? Do for others as you would have them do for you. Family is the easiest place to do it because it's a pretty small circle that, in that family, but it's the hardest place to do it because in your family, you've got sin patterns. Probably. Let, let me back that up. I'm sorry I said that. In my family, I have sin patterns. I don't know about your family. But I have suspicions. I mean, isn't, isn't that true for all of our families? We've we got these patterns that go in our lives, and it's so hard to break out of them. As children, as adults, as, as grandparents, whatever, we've got these patterns. We're like, oh, my family's broken. We don't even know that it's just this generational sin pattern that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so we keep treating each other badly. We keep treating each other poorly in our families. Why is it, how is it that in our families, with the people that we've committed to love, the people that, that came from within us, that we treat them more poorly than we treat anybody else around us sometimes. How is that possible? It's possible because it's family, and it's possible because we've got these sin patterns that go back generations for us, and we keep repeating the same behavior that our parents gave us and that their parents gave them and that their parents gave them. And we, we forget to stop for a minute and ask, is there any way in my family, in this, in this setting, that I might be able to do for them what I would love if they would do for me? 
What would happen if we chose to break those generational patterns simply by doing for others what we would have them do for us? How would that change our families? I believe when someone decides to live the rule, life change happens. When someone decides to live the rule, life change happens. Now, it may not happen in them. It may not, the life change may not happen in the others in your family. But when you decide to live this rule in your family, life change happens in you. That's all we're really talking about. What happens in you? All right. So who starts? In your family, who starts? I I see some hands. I'm seeing some elbows. Am I just imagining the elbows? Because some of you are like, oh, it starts with me. And some are like, it starts with him. Okay, let's just, let me help you with where it starts. It, it does, it starts with me. And so I'm a male, I'm a man, I'm a husband and father. So let's, let me talk to the men and husbands and fathers first. All right, let, husbands, dads, let's just suggest it starts with you. I don't think you have a corner on the market. Ladies, it could start with you as well. I'm going to get to you in a minute. But man, let's just say it starts with us. And what if we just decided, you know, in regard to our wife, we just go, I'm going to treat my, my wife like I want her to treat me. Now, there's a couple problems with that because some of you will, will say, yeah, but you don't know my wife. I'm like, what's wrong with her? Well, you just don't know. If I did this stuff, she'd walk all over me and it wouldn't be pretty and she's not very nice to me. Whoa, it wasn't really about her, it was for her. We get kind of confused in the order of things and the priority of things. It's not, a, it's not, it's not um, something that you're doing to shape her, it's something that you're doing to shape you. Yeah, you don't, you don't know my wife. I'm like, well, has she changed since you married her? No, no, she's still the same. Well, wasn't she a sweet, wonderful, fabulous person when you married her? Treat her like that. You know, some of you go, no, she changed. Well, who changed her? I mean, who's she been living with all this time? Who cha- she started out this way when she got married. She stood in an altar with this guy, and you guys both made promises, and now she's different. Who changed her? Maybe it's because maybe she changed in some ways that weren't happy, that weren't, that weren't pretty, perhaps because you as a husband, that we as, a hus- as husbands, we forgot to practice the rule. We forgot to make it the rule of the house, the family code. I will live for others as I would want them to live for me. What would happen? Men, what would happen in us if we just did that? And ladies, I could ask it, you know, what would happen in you if your husband did that? And men, stop for a minute and just think about this. If in your family, in your relationship with your wife, you get more angry at her and you express more anger to her than you express in the marketplace, 
Is it any wonder that she changed? And so, man, what if we just said, this is my rule of the house toward my wife. I will do for her exactly what I wish she would do for me. And some of you guys go, yeah, I wish she'd leave me alone. So I'm I'm just going to leave her alone. I'm just going to mind my own business. I wish she would mind her own business. I'm just going to leave her alone. Okay, that's not what you really want. I know you're like, "Uh uh-huh. No, that's not what you really want. What you really want is your wife to understand you so that when you come home and you're tired and you've had a stressed out day at work, then she would know that this might not be the time to bring up 10 things about the children throughout the day. And she would maybe leave you alone for a little bit so you can collect yourself so that you're able to be a human when you come back to the table. Maybe. Maybe what you just want from your wife is someone that studies you and learns who you are and understands you. Maybe that's what you want for her. From her, well, how about if you did that for her? If you did for her what you would like from her, how would life change in your family? Okay, ladies, let's get to you. Okay, let's get to you. So your, your deal then, ladies, if you have a husband, your, your thing would be, okay, I'll, I need to treat my husband like I'd like to be treated myself. But sometimes we mess up kind of how the commandment reads, you know. The commandment says, do to others as you would have them do to you. But sometimes we say it this way, do to others because they did to you. What's that called? Revenge. And sometimes we read it like this, do to others so they will do for you. What's that called? Manipulation. Revenge is not what it's about. Manipulation is not what it's about. Because you're, you're trying to do this so that that happens. You're, do, you're practicing this behavior because that happened. How about just this? I will treat my husband like I would like to be treated. I would do for him what I wish he would do for me. Or what I would love to have him do for me. What would happen in your marriage, <clears throat> if you treated it like that. And if your husband never changes in the ways you like, you're practicing the life of Christ. That's what he did for us. <clears throat> Let's bring it home to children. What about parenting? Not only practicing golden rule marriage, but practicing golden rule parenting. What's that like? Well, that's just, that's raising my children like I would like them to raise me. You go, that's risky. Well, you know, parents have a responsibility to discipline their children. Parents have a responsibility to correct their children. Parents have a responsibility in some ways to steer their children, right? We have those responsibilities. You can't get past that. But in my own life, I don't remember begrudging my parents the right to discipline me. I just didn't like it sometimes when they did it when they were so stinking angry. And I know I'm the one who made them angry. But I'm just hoping that as a parent, they, they take a moment to, be, to calm down before they land that on me. Why don't I parent like I would like to be parented? Why don't I offer my children the respect that I would like to have from someone who is my guardian, my parent, my leader? Why don't I give my children that kind of honor, that kind of respect, that kind of grace? 
what would happen in our families if we practice the golden rule in our parenting. Not to give up discipline, not to give up a standard, but to lead toward that standard with the attitude and the approach that you would appreciate having that standard um, aimed at you. Golden rule families are amazing. They are a blessing to everybody who's in. If it becomes the rule of the house, they're a blessing to everybody who's in. And I believe we get there by practice. We have to practice it. We have to practice the golden rule. It doesn't come naturally to us, or Jesus wouldn't have given us a rule. We have to practice. Did you see the World Series? A couple of you. Some of you were missing last week because you were watching the World Series. So in the, and some of you won't get this, you'll, you know, you'll get the point when I get done with the whole deal, but um, some of you will love this. So last, last week, there's game two of the World Series, right? And, and the Tigers are up and the Giants are out in the field and Prince Fielder, who weighs about 300 pounds, is on first base. And the next, the batter gets a hit, drives it out to left field. The Giants left fielder, Gregor Blanco, goes out to left field in the corner by the wall, gets the ball, turns around, throws it back to his cutoff man, who's a shortstop, Brandon Crawford. Brandon Crawford's not tall enough to get the throw that Gregor Blanco threw because he overthrew his cutoff man. Terrible, terrible thing to do. But Marco Scudero was the second cutoff man, and he was right where he was supposed to be. And he grabbed the ball, and he turned around, and he relayed it to Buster Posey, the catcher, who moved around, swiped a tag onto 300-pound Prince Fielder, kept out of the way, safely for himself, made an out on, on Prince Fielder. No run scored. Giants win the game. <clears throat> okay, I'm working on my play-by-play. Here's the deal. After the game, they interviewed Brandon Crawford about that play as well as other plays that happened in the game. And Brandon Crawford said this. We were able to do that play because in spring training, we practiced it every single day. You want to build the golden rule into your life? You'll have to practice it every single day. And you can't wait for somebody else in your family to practice it. You can't go, you first. You go, in this case, in this case, me first. I'll go first. I'll practice it. And I believe that will change you, and maybe it will change your family. Let's see. Jesus, I pray for us. I pray that that rule would be true of us, that we would live it out in our families, that we would honor one another like we would like to be honored, that we would love one another like we would like to be loved, that we would treat one another like we would like to be treated. And Lord, I pray for us because some of us are in broken families that are really struggling today. And it's hard to live this out. And there's this fear that if I live this out, nobody else will, and it will cost me a lot. And no one else will pay the price. Lord, I pray for my friends here to realize that if that's the case, in that case, they are just like you. Because you lived out a perfect life like you would want us to live it out. You died a perfect death on the cross like you would give up your life for us. And all the world did was spit on you. 
But Jesus, you changed the world by doing that. You changed us and you changed the world. And we sing your praise together tonight for that. Lord, thank you for these things. We love you. Shape us in that way. Amen.